Well, if you want to turn in your hymnals then to the to the back, to the catechism section. Um, we're up to question 17 tonight, and Lord willing, we're going to cover 17, 18, and 19. But we're just going to read together question 17 as it summarizes for us what questions 18 and 19 deal with. If someone has the page number, feel free to shout it out. 870. Thank you, Dennis. Okay, we've been in a section dealing with the fall of mankind in Adam's first sin. And questions 17, 18, and 19 sort of bring that to a culmination um, and then lead us into uh, what we call the Christology section of the Catechism. So uh, tonight uh, we'll cover, Lord willing, these three questions. But let's, let me read question 17, and we could answer together the answer for question 17. And then I'll, I'll give you our, our key passage for the night, and uh, we'll start together. So question 17, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. And our key passage is Romans 6.23. You might know it by heart. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for helpful tools like the Catechism that can help summarize your word and bring these truths right before us. Uh, Lord, as we uh, ponder our own sinful estate apart from Christ, I pray that it would renew our love for Christ and our awareness of his grace and mercy. And uh, would you be with us as we uh, speak together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we have been looking at this idea of the fall of mankind an extremely popular topic, um, uh, that all human beings are born sinful. We're going to look at that a a little bit more this evening. And last week we asked that question, what relationship did we have, do we have with Adam and Eve? Uh, And the catechism answered that we fell, we sinned in Adam, with Adam. And we wrestled with some of the challenges of that, of, um, you know, you know, I didn't elect Adam, you know, to be my representative, but we, but we said that God appointed him to be the covenant head. Um, and so we wrestled with some of those questions, but we landed uh, looking at the fact that Jesus is the second Adam, the new Adam, uh, that we are, we are in Christ when we come to faith in him, and, and, and through him we have his righteousness. Um, by way of sort of summarizing and getting us into this new topic, uh, Thomas Vincent a Puritan author. He has a great little uh, a book that brings you through the catechism that I've been using. Um, and he sort of wrestles with, you know, when we're wrestling with the question of how or in, in what way are we, did we sin in Adam, uh, he puts it this way. As when a man's house is on fire, it is greater wisdom to endeavor to quench the fire than to inquire how, uh, how it was set on fire. So it is greater wisdom to endeavor the removal of the natural corruption than to inquire how it was conveyed. And so it, it, he doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile pondering and asking, what, what is this dynamic that we're in, Adam? Uh, where we landed last week is to say, one way or another, however we got here, we're here. Uh, we are born uh, sinful. We sin because we're sinners. And where do we go from here? We're lost without Christ. 
And so even Christians who might give a different answer than number 16, uh, that Adam was our covenant head, we have brothers and sisters who might say, I don't know, that's not how I think the Bible talks. But they would agree and say, I am a sinner in need of grace in Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, we're going to ponder just a little bit more, what is this estate that we fell into? All right, if, if Adam and Eve were able not to sin, they were able to sin, they chose to sin, they, f- they fell. If we fell in them, the catechism goes further and says, well, let's, let's talk about it. What's that estate which we fell into? And it summarizes it with those two words. It's, it's an estate of uh, sin and what? Misery. Uh, so that's the way it summarizes for us. I'm going to endeavor to use the whiteboard, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I think some of these questions, it's really helpful um, to see the structure. To see the structure of the questions here. And this is one of those examples. So let's look at the, each of these in turn. In a state of sin and in a state of misery. Uh, so question 18. Um, it, hopefully you'll keep the catechism open in front of you, page 870. Um, and let me just read it for us, just to put it in front of us. Uh, so they say, in a state of sin, a state of misery. So question 18, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate? Uh, the sinfulness of that estate, wherein two men fell, consists of the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. And so... If you're like me, you're maybe a visual person. Uh, there's a lot said there, and it could be summarized under two headings. So uh, if, if we're in a state of sin, which we're used to talking that way, we're born in sin, we're sinners by nature, uh, what we're talking about here is um, original sin. And actual sin. Okay, let's look at the first, original sin. Uh, under here, uh, the catechism reminds us of, of many aspects of original sin here. Um, now, we see first the guilt of Adam's first sin, uh, and then we see the corruption of his whole nature. Uh, the guilt of Adam's sin, that's what we talked about last week a lot. I mean, that was the focus, right? Um, and so... I'll just summarize with a word, you know, so we talk about guilt and corruption. And so we talked about the idea of, okay, I'm, I'm guilty in Adam. He sinned, I sinned with him, I fall with him, um, and I am corrupted then in my whole nature without Christ. Um, and um, and with, within that uh, is also the want of original righteousness, um, original righteousness, I'll just put an R, and we no longer have it. So why do we use the word original? Original, of course, points back to the original sin in the sense of Adam's sin that we fell into, uh, but it's also or- original meaning like the root uh, of the human race, and also it's the root in our own hearts of all actual sins. Uh, where do we see this in Scripture? Uh, We see this when Jesus talks about the idea that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so when the catechism is wrestling with, okay, we're, we're thrown into an estate of sin and misery, that sin is, first of all, original sin. We're, we're born uh, guilty in Adam's sin. We're born corrupted in our whole nature. Uh, another term we use is total depravity. Um, which uh, sometimes is a misleading term. Uh, Pastor Brian did, an, uh, did a great job a few uh, last year g- taking us through a series, but uh, total depravity means that every part of us is corrupted, uh, but doesn't mean that every part of us is as evil as it possibly could be. Question? Are we as evil as we could be without Christ? No, by God's grace we're not. Um, and even unbelievers in the world. I mean, you could walk down the street and not just be murdered <laughs> on your way home tonight, which is great. Um, the sinfulness of our hearts without Christ, um, if it wasn't for the grace of God restraining evil, um, and yet when we talk about original sin, we say uh, we're totally depraved, but total doesn't mean total in the sense of uh, uh, to the brim, you know, as sinful as we possibly can be. But it, it, what it speaks about is every part of us has been affected by the fall. Um, so maybe help me out. What are some parts of us that are affected by the fall? Attitudes. Sure. Yeah, our very attitudes are affected by the fall. Our relationships with one another, yep. Our will, yeah, what we actually will, what we desire. Uh, that's a lot of what we think of. What about our, are our minds affected? Yeah, reason itself is affected. Our service, sure. Okay. Yeah. Even our bodies, of course, limited. Even our sense perception. So um, it, it, all of it has been affected by a sin and the sinful estate that we find ourselves in. But by God's grace, that doesn't mean that every sinner is... Um, is it, it is it is acting out every single possible sin that they could, if that makes sense, Catherine? Yep. So the want of original righteousness is speaking of the fact that when uh, Adam and Eve were made, they they had original righteousness uh, by God's design. They were able to sin, able not to sin. Uh, they had they were righteous before God's sight at that point. And no longer then are we born uh, that way. We don't have the original righteousness, and instead we have original sin. Um, Yeah, good question. So let's keep moving. Original sin and then actual sin uh, flows from it. And so we, we talked last week that this all started with one actual sin, which was the eating of the forbidden fruit. That led to Adam and Eve's fall, which leads to all of our condition in them in the fall, and then all of our actual sins come out of that, sort of like a faucet that, um, that is rusted and uh, grimy. Uh, unclean water is going to come out of it, um, but it's because it's a rusty, nasty faucet, right? Uh, so right uh, down to the core of us was corrupted without Christ. Yes, Oh, that's a good question. Marilyn's asking when people use phrases like a like a God shaped hole that someone has that, um, or Augustine says, "My heart is restless until it finds rest in you." So, so even the even the unbeliever has some sense of there's something missing here. Um, that's a good question. If that relates 
to original righteousness itself. But yeah, the want, oh, it, it meaning lack. Yes, yeah, it's it's that lack of righteous standing before God. Um, sure, I think I think there could, there's a relation there for sure. Yeah, as we're God made us to be originally righteous, but we are corrupted, and so yeah, we're going to keep. Sure, I think that definitely, and and people's conscience in the midst of that. You know, we we sin by nature, but God has still given us a conscience, and so it hurts our conscience. But it's, so it's this constant struggle before Christ opens our eyes. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that wrestling and that yes. In fact, we'll see that in a moment. In the larger catechism, it actually talks about. Um, I think they use the phrase the the horror of conscience is part of the misery. Is that is that we're made sinners, who by nature and we love our sin, and yet we've been given a conscience, and so there's this horror of of doing yeah doing things that part of you knows is wrong, and yet you love your sin, and I mean just imagine that, and 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 all of us before Christ have experienced that. So as you can tell, there's a lot here, uh, and we can come back to this, but let's get sort of the big picture here: state of sin, state of misery. If you look at question 19. What is the misery of that estate wherein to man fell? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. It's a heavy answer, isn't it? All mankind by their fall. We see a few things here. Um, so we've lost communion with God. That's the first thing that the catechism talks about. Lost communion with God. Uh, what did we see in the in the garden? Sort of by implication, later when Adam and Eve sin and, and God comes in, and, and you all know this, it, it's such a wonderful detail, that uh, God came walking in the cool of the day in the garden to them and said, where are you? Uh, the implication is that this was life before sin, uh, that uh, God gave them a garden to keep. Um, and remember what we said is like the covenant promise throughout all of scripture. I will be your God. You will be my people. Well, they had it. They had communion with God. Uh, he would walk with them in the cool of the day. And yet when sin entered, everything changed. And now they hide from God. Um, and now God rightly, as we'll see, uh, curses them in all of creation. Now, graciously, he also provides for them and makes clothes for them, and they don't drop dead on the spot. I mean, you see God's grace right from the very beginning. Uh, but in a very real way, they lost communion with God. And to Marilyn's point, I think this is that God-shaped hole. Uh, we were made to have communion with God. Uh, as we've seen, what is our chief end but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And so sin separates us uh, from that. Uh, Thomas Vincent, again, sort of answers the question, you know, if someone sort of scoffed and said, is, that really, is this really that big of a deal? Why would you list this first? He says, yes, because God is our chief good. And in communion with him does consist man's chiefest happiness. Therefore, the loss of communion with God is man's greatest loss. That's his greatest loss. Uh, one definition of depression that I've come across is that depression is a, is a goal that has become 
unattainable or a loss that has become irretrievable. With God, we, before Christ, it's a loss that is irretrievable on our own. And there's a goal that's become unattainable because he made us to tend the garden. He made us to be fruitful and multiply. He made us to have communion with him. And when sin entered, it severed that. It severed that. And, of course, we see that in Scripture as um, Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That was our state before Christ, enemies of God. We have truly lost communion with him. And number two, we are under his wrath and curse. Under his wrath and curse. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Right? We saw in our in our verse, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so we're under his wrath and curse. So not only have we lost communion with God, we're now enemies of God. God is holy and righteous and perfect and a must punish sin necessarily by his very nature. And so we are under his wrath and curse. Uh, and therefore, deserving of all misery and death. Deserving of all misery and death. And, 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 the, and the catechism sort of breaks it down into all, um, how does it say here? Liable to all miseries in this life. So even our short earthly life. Uh, the things that happen to us, there's a, there's a relative sense in which we could say, like when a disaster happens, we could say, you know, X amount of innocent lives were lost. And that's true on sort of a relative level. Those people didn't do anything to cause that disaster in their life, right? But any misery that comes upon us, no human being can rightly say, I, I don't deserve this. You know, I deserve better. I deserve to be with God forever just based on who I am. no. Uh, since we sinned in Adam and are in this state, uh, we're li- made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself. I mean, that was the original curse that God gives. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And as if that wasn't enough to the pains of hell forever. And we've talked about this, that if we have sinned against an infinitely holy God, uh, then the punishment we deserve is infinite punishment even though our human brains don't like to think about that. Because uh, uh, even still, we tend to think, well, I'm not that bad, right? And so made liable to all the pains of hell forever. Uh, larger Catechism 29, uh, uh, Emily and I were just talking about this a second ago. Uh, what are the punishments of sin in the world to come? Um, actually, this is pointing to the world to come. After death, the punishments of sin and the world to come are everlasting separation from the comfortable presence of God and most grievous torments in soul and body without intermission in hellfire forever. It's good for us to reflect on these truths. Uh, Jesus often talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, And even as we saw this morning, as he pleaded 
and urged and rebuked the Pharisees, uh, he wasn't afraid to talk about the fact that we're under God's wrath and curse, that we needed his atoning work on the cross. And so as, as Vincent said at the beginning, right, it's, it, it's good to ask questions, how did we get here? Uh, but these two questions help us say, what is this estate that we find ourselves in without Christ? And those of us who are now in Christ, what is the estate that our loved ones, our neighbors are in? And we need to reflect on this, right? When, when Christ pulls us out of the burning building, and there's still people in the building, uh, then these are very evangelistic catechism questions. Uh, because we think of our loved ones and the estate that they're in, um, and we fight past the tendency to not really want to think about that and know to say, okay, God, use me or use someone else. <clears throat> that you would open their eyes like you opened my eyes. And if we said, what now? For humanity, for us, question 20 we'll look at in a few weeks here. And I, I love the way it's phrased. Did God, <clears throat> did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? The story could have ended here. And God would be just. Do you believe that? If we truly believe that we deserve the wrath and curse, that we're truly deserving of misery and death because of our sinful estate and all the actual sins that flow out of it, the story could have ended here as a picture of God's justice. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom and in his mercy, who loved us before the creation of the world, sent his son, uh, who says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What we've done is we've sort of zoomed in on the word lost and said, here's some of what it means to be lost. Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And as deep and as dark as this sin and misery, this estate that we're in, that's, that's the heights that he went to purchase a people for himself, dealing with their wrath and curse, taking misery and death upon himself, both in his life uh, and then in his death giving us his righteousness that we were lacking, dealing with the guilt and corruption of our sin. I mean, you start to see the, the full picture of what it means that Jesus went to the cross for us. Uh, and you start to ask, what, what was Jesus doing on the cross? When he, when he said it is finished, it's that those that he loved before the foundation of the world, he was ripping out of this sin, this estate of sin and misery, and bringing them into an estate of salvation, a, a new status that we have with him. We still battle sin. Uh, we still long for the day when sin and misery are done away with. And yet we're his. We belong to him. The spirit is at work in us. And one day he'll do away with sin and misery uh, for good. This is the promise that we have in Christ. Uh, let me pray. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you, uh, in your mercy, did not leave us in an estate of sin and misery, although we deserve to be there. Uh, Lord, due to nothing in ourselves, uh, but your mere good pleasure, uh, you saved us, Lord. We thank you. We pray that that would propel us to love and good works, that that would propel, propel us to pray for and entreat with our neighbors and our friends and our family members uh, whose eyes uh, seem to be blinded now from your gospel. Uh, we pray that even this year their eyes would be opened uh, by your gospel of grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.